When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Man, Lukey, we are back. Episode three. I'm feeling like I'm really a part of the program now. The first two, you know, I had a little ring rust coming off a layoff in the last one. Now it is the darker side of the after show. As always, I am joined with Sean. We're going to get really deep and meta into our topic today. Why don't you introduce what people have just recently listened on to the podcast? So episode number three, Inside the Mind of Ike Abeyabuche one of the forgotten heavyweights of the 1990s who had the potential to be a heavyweight champion, probably could have been a heavyweight champion. It's madness that, you know, this guy had all this potential and yet it all just dwindled away because of incidents that he got involved in outside of the ring and his his, his mindset, his demeanour. We'll go into it all, of course, throughout the course of the episode, but what an episode. Uh, I suppose what I want to know, First and foremost, Luke, is initial reaction to the episode. Two initial reactions. Mental health. He was like kind of like a mental health case before mental health was made aware or public. And in such a masculine and macho sport like boxing, this is a guy who pretty clearly is suffering from what I gathered family past genetic mental illness, superstitious beliefs, and that it basically was charming until it wasn't. So it's like, oh, we're going to let him be the president. Oh, we're going to let him do this until he has a knife at a dinner table, until he starts starting to have these weird incidences with women, until he's not showing up. It's like it's almost like a monster that was created. Um, so many different things. But I guess my first initial thought was, is it CTE or are we looking at schizotypal personality disorder? When I did research on this, because I actually, I think I pulled up schizotypal Oh, I don't have it up, but basically it's that personality disorder, according to the DSM five is someone who has a grandiose sense of self, which fits this fighter and also superstitious beliefs, you know, belief in mythical things. And it felt very much like someone who had schizotypal personality disorder and possibly also absorbed CTA CTE amongst his career and was just kind of there. I think what you've researched is probably a, a good way. I think that was probably what I was looking to try and get to. I know in the episode I mentioned, you know, possible bipolar disorder, but like I said in the episode, I'm not educated enough to be able to make that sort of diagnosis. You know, people go through years and years of, of, of college and universities to be able to actually get the doctorates and, and make these type of comments. I was just going based off what I know about certain disorders, which it kind of felt like it was a bit of bipolar disorder but then the schizotypic one that you've mentioned i think sounds more like 
what Ike Bayabuchi was was like and the CTE aspect of it. I mean, the he had that amazing fight with David Chua, one of the best twelve round heavyweight fights you'll ever see, and the amount of punishment that each absorbed in that fight, it, it was surprising that not one of them was, you know, they walked they all walked away with the faculties intact, and and the doctor physically checked Ike Bayabuchi out and said that you know yeah he's fine he's okay. So initially I thought well maybe it could be a bit of CTA, but then. That could have come later on down the line. We just we just don't know, do we? He had fights, obviously, after the Chua fight. Could he have absorbed punishment in those fights that could have caused it, that could have furthered the episode on? I genuinely think it was mental health. It's, it's, it screams mental health to me. Uh, but what what a sad... What a sad waste of talent was was my takeaway for it. Is is He was right up there. He was right ready to be fighting the likes of Evander Holyfield and Lennox Lewis. And then all of a sudden, it, everything just went down the pan. Well, and, and I'm going to just, uh, I did a little research, so I'm going to answer that. But I wanted to say that, like, according to Wikipedia, types of schizotypal personalities, the type of person that would be that would be like a Willy Wonka or a Vincent Van Gogh. And I think that Ike, in a weird way, isn't that far removed from that, where it's like you have all the talent in the world and everyone realized this is a phenomenal generational talent, yet he had to live in this world that no one else lived in and no one knew how to communicate to him or create a world that he could buy into to harness that talent. And I think that's the sad story was he was his own worst enemy. He was, he certainly was. I, I don't think his mom helps the situation because she, she was just as uh, delirious as, as what Ike seemed to be throughout the course of his of his career and obviously his life. And we'll, obviously there's elements of the conversation that we'll touch on later on about Ike now and, and what's happening now. But I mean, at the time, you know, he's got his mother who's, you know, when you talk about his mum and you talk about going to his mum's house and she's got tinfoil up at the windows. And then you think, you think, first of all, it's because, you know, obviously it's really hot where they are, but then... When you find out it's actually because she's trying to keep the spirits and, and the demons out and she's got these beliefs and she's convinced that spirits and demons will get into the house. Obviously, that's going to be protracted down to her son. So he's he's come, he's the product of that environment. He's come from that environment. If his mum was so, he's believed everything like that, then of course it's going to come down onto him. And then he's going to continue that trend, which is what he's done. Like the the, the some incidents, which I'm sure you'll, uh, I'm sure you'll mention, but you know, it just doesn't make sense to, I suppose, anybody who's sort of thinking what we would consider to be on a, on a normal basis. But my word, uh, what what a tale! What some of them stories that that we got, and some of the stories that that Luke G. Williams got through, who, who authored the book, The President of Pandemonium. I could I couldn't believe what I was reading. I couldn't believe what I was you know sort of visualizing, read, reading through it, and I'm like. Wow! Did this really happen? You know, did these events really happen? Was he, was he really that that far gone? And I guess I came at this from a different standpoint, kind of just from like looking at pop culture. But like when I looked at the mom, I thought about like how the seventies had a lot of black exploitation culture films. In those films, there's a lot of alchemy. There's a lot of voodoo. Voodoo's often thought of like as like a predominantly black culture element. I'm thinking of movies like Live and Let Die. I think that's the name, the the James Bond movie where there's Baron Von Roschke, the voodoo man that's going around. It's basically James Bond doing a black exploitation film. But I say all this to say it seems like the mother came up in this era of like black myth, mythical thinking. And then we go into the 90s and then that's not as relevant or it's not as ingrained in the world. And then here she is passing down this superstitious thought to her son, who's this massive man who has all the talent in the world. And he's it's almost like being taught how to speak the Star Trek language instead of like any any language. So now he has this he's predisposed predisposed. I'm not even going to say that word. He's he's conditioned to believe certain things are true when most people wouldn't believe them to true. I'm not going to say they are or not true, but my comparison would be if you're being threatened with staying after school in a classroom, but every day you go to daycare till 5 p.m., what's the threat in 
getting held back for detention if you're going to sit in a room no matter what. And I feel like that was his view of the world was it was this altered view where he saw things in this way where the consequences didn't really have the same meaning to other people. What what do you think about the the persona that he created, the president, and all of a sudden he's he's he's, he's sort of amalgamated himself into this this third person, and he's constantly speaking about himself in the third person? Do you think that's part of the condition, or do you think it's just a part of his ego? I mean, how did you sort of interpret that? Well, I th- I, I always try to relate things back to myself because I'm like the greatest self indicator that I can through lived experience. And like, I think I got into boxing because like a lot of things growing up were kind of crazy and intense around me. So like I had like this hyper focus in wanting to learn boxing because like, I think in my mind, it's like, if I put all my energy into boxing, there's some other world for me to live within that's different than the world that's painful for me. So I would like to believe that he created this Prez character because there was a part of him that didn't feel good about who he was so when he became the prez then now he's the person they talk about on television now i'm this fighter that everyone says could be the next mike tyson and i think that was his form of escape i think we see this with a fighter in mma named colby covington where he created this maga character where it's like he was a fighter that was rather anonymous now he's this massive trump supporter and the problem with these characters we often see the character becomes the person because the people actually more like the, the character than they do the individual. And I think that that didn't help because I think Ike was unstable to begin with. And then this character um, just accelerated traits that we deemed socially inappropriate. It's like with uh, wrestling, WWE wrestling. It's like they obviously have the faces, they have the heels, the good guys, the bad guys, but they have the gimmicks, don't they? And the gimmicks are what, you know, these these guys live and breathe. You know, some of the most famous wrestlers out there that, that we were watched growing up, they lived and breathed their gimmick because it was 24-7. They didn't want to be caught being out of out of character. And it kind of felt like this is what Ike was, was doing once he'd got into that persona. You know, he was living the president life. And, and the most notable story, obviously, was the story about them ringing up to his room to get him to come down for the weigh-in for the fight. And he wouldn't come down. They hung the phone up. And then they had, an, they had an idea of ringing him back, but then addressing the president, asking for the president. And then the fact that he goes away as if to get the president, as if there's another person in the room, and he comes back. And then he eventually comes down. And it was like, that's the way they got him to come down to the weigh-in. And I was like surely at this point in time if this is you know if, if you're the handler you're the promoter you're the manager around him surely you know you're starting to think to yourself you know he's he's, he's one can short of a six-pack here surely he needs a little bit of help but I didn't I didn't feel like they 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 gave a shit towards the end I kind of felt like you know at that point they just dealt with what he was like because they knew he had this immense talent and they knew there was a great potential that he could go on and, and, and fight for the world heavyweight title where the money would come and that they would get rich off the back of it. And that's that's to me what I took away from from that aspect of it and that particular story. Uh, but when you heard that particular story, what was your initial reaction to that? I, I got the impression that he was a guy that truly terrified people. And that like people were basically at a certain point said, this guy is a logistical nightmare. I don't want to have to deal with him. We don't know how he's going to react. We have, it seems like we have him under contract. We're trying to get him to a world title, but like, it just felt like he had done so many crazy things that people were just like, what can we do to get this guy here? And how can we get him on television if we've already brought him out? Because once he enters into the world, we have no clue. And I, because I'm Mr. Pop culture reference guy, I think the comparison I started thinking about was Lauren Hill of all things. So Lauren Hill drops this fantastic rap album, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. And it was kind of like a deeply personal album, but we never got another album, right? It's like this classic, you can basically play it for all generations in many ways. It's kind of like a, a throwback to a lot of different elements of music. Yet it, if you there weren't there reports in the mid 2000s and now that she'll show up and she'll kind of give these strange concerts, you know, and I think that with Ike, it's kind of like Lauren Hill. We we appreciate the greatness and we want that person to come back. 
But as a fan or a lover of pop culture, the hardest thing is to realize sometimes people have changed and they're not coming back. Yeah, I, I think that was probably... That was where we went, weren't it? But then I think the concerning thing was like, yeah, okay, it's quite evident there's there's, there's a form of mel- mental health involved here. But it was when he started objectifying women and when he started looking at women as 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 just sort of a lesser of a lesser of an individual, lesser of the species, and and and, and the way he, you know he's reported to have treated them and and the way he even spoke about them. You know, there's many quotes about. Uh, in, in the episode that we mentioned about him, you know, he just wants to come get prostitutes and have sex with prostitutes and this is what he wants to do. And, and then obviously it leads to um, to certain incidents occurring, um, which is, is ultimately what leads to his, his downfall in terms of the sport. But th- th- that sort of scary move from being a guy who sort of has this other personality to then going down the route of, of, of objectifying women and being very dismissive and... and terrible towards him i think was what made it more scary like he's a big guy a big intimidating guy and everybody around was you know was quite scared of him they're quite intimidated by him and imagine being that individual imagine being around him and, and you know him not knowing what's next with him and i think i started to feel a little bit like it was only going one way after that point you know like look he's this is what's happening this is his mentality he's got his persona did he feel it was okay when he was in that persona to, to be that way towards women? It's, it's hard, isn't it, to, to really fathom uh, what was really going on. But all the sort of evidence, everything that's out there points towards him having some serious mental health problems and that, you know, the, these were the reasons why he went and, and took the actions that he took. I think that the, in my notes I wrote, it's the sad coming of age story, right? So we normally think of like the catcher in the rye or all these stories where it's like you you go through something to get through to get to it. So you go through it just to get to it. So it's like the journey creates the destination. And in this story, it's like everyone I feel like either was turning a blind eye or they thought it was naive or funny or it was a, it was kind of like endearing until it got strange. And then everyone wanted to disassociate. And it was like there were warning signs, but as long as he was fighting, as long as he was making money, it was okay. But as you said, the the habits with women, the irrational behavior around HBO executives, <laughs> it gets it, it's all fun and games until you really believe we don't know if this guy's stable, he's a trained fighter. And we're literally flying him to places with civilians in hotels and bringing him places. And we're liable the minute he gets off of the plane. And I think that he literally like boxing is a sport where not everybody's going to be a nice guy. And this is, this is one of these cases where it's like, what would Ike have done if he didn't have boxing? That's a scary thought. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Isn't it? Now, now you put it into sort of hindsight, and look at sort of where where he's at now, and you think to yourself, you know, God knows what he's up to now. And obviously, for those that you know, maybe have listened, maybe not have listened, you know, he's he's the last known location of him was that he was he was let let go from prison, he was released from prison uh, a couple of years back, um, and then he got he went to Nigeria, and then that as far as everybody knows, that's where he is now. As far as Luke G. Williams goes he said that, that's as far as he knows is that's where he is now luke had the opportunity to to actually speak to ike a couple of years ago you know and that that was obviously great preparation for him to put together the book and you know luke's going to be on the show uh this week he's going to be on so it's going to be really interested to speak to luke and find out his take because he spoke to ike he actually had the conversations with ike so i'll be really interested to know how he interprets the way Ike is as an individual because there were people in the story, characters around Ike, that were absolutely adamant. He was just a nice guy. He was a normal guy. And yet, like you mentioned, you know, was he just turning a blind eye to it? Were they just being ignorant to it? Did they not want to... You know, it's like some people, when they see something happening, it's like sometimes they they compartmentalise what's going on and, and try to try to justify it in a certain way. And I kind of feel there was a few people around him that were like that. Uh, his mother in particular, um, you know, which was always a reason, there was always a justification for why he was sort of acting the way he was, whereas there were many people around him, his trainer, his coach, uh, his manager, you know, they kind of could see 
where the uh, where the the wheels were starting to come off the track, and I think as you could see throughout the course of the story, you can start to tell that people are starting to distance themselves away from him because the behaviour is coming more erratic. And you mentioned the uh, the meeting with the HBO executives, and you know basically it's very eerie. All of a sudden, something gets said that you know Ike doesn't really want to hear, or he just interprets in a different way, and he just literally slams down a huge knife onto the table in a meeting with HBO executives who are essentially going to be paying a big share of what he's going to get off the back of a fight. Yeah, it, it, there's a couple of ways I look at it. The, the first is most fighters have a switch. And I once interviewed a fighter where it was like, he's normal guy. And then when I do the interview, he goes, okay, I want to portray myself in cer- a certain way. And part of me was kind of like, eh, I don't really like this because he's not being who he is. But I understand mm-hmm. he wanted to market himself in a certain way. I think a lot of people wanted to believe Ike had a switch and that these characters, like even when he's doing the president thing for the weigh-in, I think people wanted to believe, okay, he's being eccentric. In pro wrestling, they had Chris Benoit where he was crazy guy, right? Outside of the ring and then inside of the ring. What is he going to do? And I think it's human nature to want to believe Ike is just kind of being this eccentric personality. But I don't think there was a switch. I think that at a certain point he became this. And my comparison is almost the way people become alcoholics. Like the guys are funny at the party. They're the life of the party. They're always the guy you want to drink with. And then all of a sudden they're spending all their money on booze and they're not doing anything. And you're like, wait, how did 10 years go by? And he went from the funny guy to the guy that's always asking me for money and now struggling to get it. Mm -hmm. And I think we saw like a boxing mental health version of that in this story. Yeah, I think so. I think um, ultimately, you know, as I said at the start, really, he could have been a heavyweight champion of the world. He had the immense talent to do so. And, you know, he was he was not far away from fighting the likes of Holyfield and Lewis. You remember the year the year that he got arrested, which we'll talk about the year that he got arrested was the year that Holyfield and Lewis had their two major fights with each other. Where obviously there was a draw in the first, and then Lewis wins the second, and more convincingly on the cards. And it's like Ike Abayabuchi could have been the man in line for that after them fights. And you think to yourself, what a waste. We never know now what would have happened. Would Lennox Lewis controlled him with that jab? Would Evander Holyfield slugged it out with him? We never, we're never going to know that. And Ike finished his career because of the incidents he was involved in so we never got to find out in his boxing career whether or not he really would have been a world champion whether he was good enough to beat the great guys of the time and it's such a shame from that aspect of it from the sport he's one of them what ifs shoulda woulda couldas he is one of them guys now that will always betray us that and obviously you know, he tried to get his boxing career back on track at the age of 43. Only only five, six years ago, he was trying to get back in the ring. He was supposed to be fighting on the undercard of Tim Bradley, Manny Pacquiao. That was supposed to happen. Then all of a sudden, he didn't. He wasn't on there. And obviously, now we've not seen him make an attempt to come back since. He's obviously been in and out of prison. And now he's, as far as everybody's aware, he's in Nigeria. I mean, the laws in Nigeria are completely different. It's a completely different world over there you know to what's allowed and what isn't allowed and it was something i think johnston mentioned at the end of the episode and he was talking about that's probably why he's gone back over there now because he can kind of get away with what he wants he's i can imagine he's a bit of a hero to them over there you know like he he's someone that they've uh, looked up to over the years as this great champion and obviously his dad something we've not mentioned is he's, he's of course is his dad samuel abayabuchi the pista killer there's that story as well and, and obviously he gets his genetics from his dad of course uh, i think that was a very interesting story that we uh, we put together for that and it's not something I actually knew about ike abayabuchi i only knew about ike and his career uh, and obviously what happened ultimately but i never knew about his father and the story behind that and it and it makes you wonder like with his father being who he was and his mum being the way she was it was like a recipe for disaster for ike in many ways it's almost like becoming a boxer was the worst thing that could happen to this guy with every with the groundwork that was laid for those unaware he beat chris bird he beat probably the best version of david Tua. He beat David Tua for all intensive purposes as an underdog, as a guy that most people were looking at Tua as the guy. And Bird was his last fight as a pro. 
he fights Chris Bird. As you said, he was rumored to come back with Kant's Andy Ruiz fight on the Tim Bradley Manny Pacquiao card. And just like with everything with Ike, he just disappears. We hear about it coming back, and then like in one fall swoop, he's gone. I know. That's the sad part about it, really, is is like the ideal ending to the story would be that he got his life back on track and, you know, he, maybe he was able to return to the ring. But as it stands, you know, it's different with this episode because Ike's still alive. Ike's still out there. So, you know, he's doing his thing, whatever it is he's doing. You know, some a lot of the fighters and a lot of the people we, we cover are unfortunately no longer with us. Do you know, for one reason or another, they're not here. And Ike's, well, I think probably the first one that we've covered where he is actually, he's, he's alive, he's out there somewhere uh, doing something uh, at the age of, what, I think he's in 48, 49 now. And he's like, will he ever come back to America? Will he be allowed to come back to America? Will they have him back? It's like, what will happen in, in, in this story? And as, I think I said it at the end of the episode, this story's not finished. We've we presented a story here up until the point where where we are with him. But his story's definitely not finished. I still think there's something left to that story before it's all said and done. It feels like the Tiger Woods HBO documentary where I watched, and I'm getting to a point here, is when I watched that, it felt like there's another act to that movie and they made the movie just because they know Tiger Woods sells. And then he gets in the car accident and all that stuff. With Ike, I feel like in the next 10 years, there's going to be something where you guys are going to have to revisit this story because it feels like, his story can't just end anonymous like his personality was so loud that guys like that don't go down without making noise on their way out no i i think you're right i think there's definitely something there's definitely something left to it isn't there because like you think about the persona we've spoke about the president persona we've spoke about his his ego you know there is an ego there with him as well of course and the feel the feels like there's something left there. It's just a case of what is it? What what is left? Is it going to be another? He's going to commit a crime and he's going to be back in the news for that, or is it going to be he's genuinely going to try and come back and and have a fight again? It's just me, me and Johnson when doing this episode, like we're blown away by the stories. We're blown away by what was going on outside of the ring with him. And then at the end of it, we're kind of left feeling, hang on a minute, there's still something left here. We just don't know what's going to happen. He's unpredictable. You know, it's, it's, it's evident how unpredictable he is. Is he, is he going to be back in America? I mean, is he going to listen to that episode? Is that episode going to reach him somehow? He's going to think, who the fuck are these two guys? Who, who the hell are these two guys talking about? And, you know, like, you just don't know, do you? And that's, that's, that's the, that's the uh, it's the unknown aspect of, of, of Ike. And, and what may happen next as to, as to what makes this story even more compelling than the rest of them that we've covered so far is because, you know, we just there's, there's still something there, there's still something left to tell. Um, I'm, I'm kind of genuinely, like, hoping he emerges from, from the shadows and, and he comes out and maybe he's got his life back on track. I mean, that's just the, you know, the, the sort of kind-hearted part of me that says, I hope he comes back and I hope he's repaired his life. But then the cynical side of me thinks, like, He's been in this. He's been this way for so long that I don't think he'll ever change, and I think he'll always be this individual. And, and for that, it's always gonna. It's always gonna make him not a very nice man. There was a part of me listening to this episode that wanted Ike at some point to kind of have a functional middle class American life, and then go to Mike Tyson's podcast and smoke weed with Mike Tyson, and have a proper career send off where he just like reflects on fights talks. And then like, I guess to take it a step further, imagine if Mike Tyson and Ike fought each other in a celebrity fight, you know, because it's like that, that's like my dream world of like the redemption would be okay. I never got my prime, but at least I could fight a Logan Paul. I could fight a guy like this. I could fight a Shannon Briggs. I could fight a Mike Tyson, maybe get some of this back end money. I don't know. Like I, I, always look at the positives right and i always want to see the positives yet the crazy thing about a character like this is nothing has ever gone by the script with him from the beginning to the end eric bodiger and lou DeBella playing a big part of the roles in this story i think that that's also kind of fun seeing how they're both prominent voices in boxing still eric bodiger now the thriller fight club uh matchmaker and lou DeBella a promoter 
it's just strange, man. It's a strange story. I feel like this is going to be a story that boxing executives and boxing people share throughout the end of time because it's a one of one. It is a one of one, isn't it? It's, it's a story that I think eventually will, you know, get visualized in some form of documentary. Uh, hopefully it'll be ours. Hopefully we'll be able to visualize something like this in the future. Um, and obviously Luke uh, Williams has brought his book out. And it, like I said earlier, it'll be great when Luke comes on the show uh, in an episode later this week because it's it's all well and good us researching these episodes and, and putting them together and storytelling them and, and us sort of shooting the breeze about them afterwards. But when you've got somebody who's actually had the opportunity to, to speak to the individual in question, you get a bit of a better insight into how things work. I mean, for example, when we had Paul Zanon on for the Tapia episode, he wrote the book... Uh, about Tapia, the ghost of Tapia, with Teresa Tapia. So he spent hours and hours with Teresa, picking her brains about her life with Johnny. And it's like Luke's done the same in a sense with Ike, that he's obviously had the time with Ike and he's been able to put this together. Uh, so he's going to be able to give us a different perspective of, of, of what we're on at the moment, of what we're thinking about and how things are. And I'm, I'm really interested. I'm really looking forward to, to him coming on later on in the week and, and, and really airing his views on it. I mean... He he's listened to the episode. He he might think, "What the hell have we, we put together here?" He he might have a completely different opinion of, of what we have. And that's that's what makes it interesting. Obviously, with with someone that's actually had the opportunity to to be around him and speak to him and 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 get the sort of general demeanor of what he was like just a couple of years ago. I think that's what that'll tell us a little bit more about whether there is some story left with him. Whether we are going to get to see like you say, uh, going out in a, in a bit of a blaze of glory or whether it's going to be just more sadness. Yeah, I mean, it's just from a narrative arc, imagine writing the documentary. It's like, what is the story? Because you could go so many different ways. It could be eccentric. It could be fun. It could be extremely dark. It That would be a story that would take a master storyteller to tell because I think the real story is all the above, right? That's why we're so fascinated. It's funny it's scary, it's morbid, there's all these different emotions. And I think that's also why it lingered so long was nobody really wanted to put a label on it because it bounced through so many gray areas. Yeah, I think I think with episodes like this, you know, bringing it more to light with the book that Luke's done, he's done an article for Boxing Social. You know, there is there is content out there a bit more now about about Abebuchi, and I think as as time goes on, it starts to become more of a wonder of of you know what if what could have happened is something still going to happen, and I, I do genuinely think there'll be another conversation that we have later on down the line where something has happened with Ike and. Oh, I'm hoping it's good. I'm hoping it's not negative. I'm hoping he's turned his life around. But you know, a lot of me sort of thinks that he's not. And a lot of me feels like he's, he's he is the way he is. He's not been diagnosed with any type of condition as such that, you know, that's allowing him to get on with his life in the right way. And, he, he you know, he's gone and he's, maybe he's continuing his life uh, in Nigeria and he's continuing it in a, in, a, in, a, in a bad way. We just don't know. That's the thing. It's the unknown. It's not, the not knowing part of this story that makes him even more compelling. Because um, like when you get the stories of people ultimately committing suicide or they're murdered or, or it's you know relating to the mafia and they've been put in prison, there's closure. I think that's the word I'm looking for is closure. We haven't had closure with Ike yet. And I was going to steal that. That was going to be my analysis was is I think that our mind go when we like Alfred Hitchcock, he's a master filmmaker. What, what made psycho so scary? We don't see the person that kills the woman in the hotel room. It's a silhouette and it's our imagination. The unknown is our biggest enemy because it goes to our mind. What's the thing that scares us the most. And I think what's hard for us is we automatically maybe go to a negative instead of a positive when we don't know, because that's just the way we're trained to go maybe to be like that i would like to say if anyone's never seen ike fight go watch the david Tua fight he looks like a bigger mike tyson it's like one of the most ripped physically intimidating heavyweights i would i'd say he's probably top five most intimidating with tyson lennox lewis and a few others but wouldn't wouldn't you say that would you say the david Tua fight is the creme de la creme of his career 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously they broke a, a CompuBox punch stats record up until uh, Adam Kwanaki and Chris Ariola not too long ago. I mean, that's that's what we want to see as boxing fans. That's that's a heavyweight fight. That is a heavyweight fight. We love the knockouts. Don't get us wrong. As fans, everybody loves to see a knockout, but we also love to see a good fight, a good all-action, all-round fight. And I think that type of fight, a Chua, a, a Bayabuchi fight, was it was the creme de la creme. It was the pinnacle um, fight of his career. But then, obviously, cannot forget the Chris Bird fight because look what Chris Bird went on to do afterwards. That was so significant for me that Chris Bird went on to become a world champion and he eventually went on to fight Vitaly Klitschko and, and he beat Vitaly Klitschko, albeit on courts, of course. But, you know, look at what Chris Bird did in his career. So that makes you then wonder, from a boxing perspective, surely Aikabeyabuchi would have been a world champion in the four-belt era. Imagine you tell someone that neither David Tua nor Aikabuchi uh, won a world title after the fight that they had. Like, isn't that the craziest? That's the crazy world we live in. Yeah, it's one of the best heavyweight fights of all time. It really is. It's, it's such an underrated fight. Like, because there was nothing really on the line in that fight as such, you know, if you saw that fight for a world title now, we would be fawning over that fight for a very long time. The fact that it didn't have the world title at stake, the fact that these two guys wasn't as well known at the time was was obviously what hampered it, you know, in terms of the way we look at it now. But for us as, as fans, we look at it and think, that's an absolutely cracking fight. That's brilliant. That's the type of fight we want to see. Now, these are the type of fights we want to see in the heavyweight division. It's not very often you can get two big guys like that, two guys that are genuinely hard punches like that with, with one punch KO power in both of the hands, but yet they can go 12 rounds with each other uh, and throw... The, the most punches that I've ever been thrown in a heavyweight fight for a long, long time. And yet, I do feel like that fight gets forgotten about. Okay, got two last categories that I came up just for this episode. Sorry to the last episodes that I didn't have these, but net, I'm I'm getting better with time. I'm getting my ring experience. I'm like Canelo. I'm getting better with time. If they were to make a movie, who would you cast to play Ike in the movie? Oh, that's a difficult one, that. Because who, who would be... The perfect, he would be the perfect actor for him at the moment. I, I, I genuinely don't know. I genuinely don't know who could play that part uh, so well uh, in terms of African American actors that I think could go and do that so well. I genuinely, I genuinely couldn't sort of put a name on that. Uh, have you? Is there an idea that you've got who you think would play be a be a good? I mean, I suppose like. Um, <sighs> I don't. I, it's got to be someone physically muscular, hasn't it? It's got to be someone well built. It's got to be someone who can be in shape and and be sort of a similar stature to to like the the one person that sort of springs to mind. And I'm not saying it because I think he's an absolutely brilliant actor. I think he's a good actor, but I think he sort of fits the bill. Would be uh, Ving Rhames. Okay, um, my gut feeling isn't an actor. I would cast David Hay. David Hay's got a great personality, and I think David Hay could. I've always thought that for boxing movies, you always want to get, unless it's someone that wants to get into the part. I think David Hay, that would be a fun role for him to play. So I, my gut feeling would be David Hay for that. And my last question, modern equivalent to Ike, not in terms of the out of the ring, but inside of the ring, who would you say is the modern equivalent of the last 10, 15 years? The last 10, 15 years, Ike Bayabuchi, who who's as good as him? Um... In terms of Anthony Joshua, probably springs to mind straight away. I mean, he's got the he's got a similar a similar build, similar height, similar reach, similar style to the way they fought, or to the way obviously Joshua still fights now, albeit you know obviously he's a uh, he struggled recently. I think I think he sort of feels like it. The I don't think there's anybody else in the last 15, 20 years, but I think if I can make a comparison to a UK based fighter who he reminds me of. Uh, in terms of his, his more sort of physical attributes, it's probably Frank Bruno. I mean, Frank Bruno was, was, was so chiseled as a fighter, but yet he struggled when he got hit. When he got hit, he sort of folded. We never we never known what, what Ike Bayabuchi would... Well, you know, we never knew what happened to him because we never, we never got to see him fight the big fighters. And I think that would have told us a real story, but unfortunately, that's never probably never going to get told now. So 
Yeah, I think I think there's a couple of comparisons I can make. Um, in 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 terms of that, I think people might think, "Oh, Andy Joshua, what are you talking about?" I'm just thinking more from a sort of a physique perspective. You know, he's very sort of uh, f- physically muscular, and people talk about that a lot and focus on that. And Abayabuchi was was that guy. Uh, is is there anyone that I've, I'm, I'm sure there's probably someone that I've missed that is going to scream out to me when you probably say it? But who who did you think of? Well, I'm going a different direction. I'm not thinking the physique per se. If we're going physique, I'd probably have to think a little bit longer. But in terms of the life he lived and the way he fights, he reminds me of Dillian White, where Dillian White's a very aggressive fighter. I feel like he intimidates the guys he fights. He's physically strong. I've heard Dillian White, every single punch he throws hurts the guys or it's physically hard. And though he's not this chiseled monster, I think Dillian White to me is kind of the closest equivalent, though not body type in terms of mentality and physicality. And the positive thing about Dillian White is it's like he's harbored all of this into like a business mind where he's becoming a manager. It's like no one ever expected this guy that's like this big puncher brute to be like this entrepreneur manager who's almost rivaling Joshua in a way. Like, I did you see that coming? I didn't. No, I suppose if you think about early on in his career, he's like very brash, weren't he? He had a lot of issues in his younger days and he was fighting on all the small hall shows in the UK before he made it. And his fight with Joshua was, uh, I think, was an excellent fight. And I think I always said, uh, just going off on a tangent a little bit, the moment he hurt Joshua with that left hook was the moment I knew at some point down the line, Joshua would go down like a sack of shit. I knew for a fact, as soon as he caught him with that left hooker, he rocked him to his boots. And I thought, I think Joshua's going to struggle when he gets hit flush again off another big puncher. And lo and behold, he got put down by Klitschko. And then Ruiz puts him down. And obviously, you know, even Alexander Usyk nearly put him down, obviously, a couple of times there. So it's like, you know, I think that that told me a little bit of a story back then. But Dillian White's a good comparison. I think Dillian White, in terms of his sort of all-action style, his brute strength, his sort of demeanour, I think probably is a good comparison uh, in terms of in terms of Ike. And I think other other people outside of the ring, like you think of stories and you think of Ike and you think of, you know, who can you sort of compare him to? Uh, it reminds me a lot of what Derek Chisora is like and his mentality has been over the years and again i don't go to physicality this time i go more so to the antics to the persona he puts himself in the mindset he gets himself into i mean what he spat he's <laughs> he spat in vitaly klitschko's face uh he slapped vladimir um I, I could have got that the wrong way around i think he might have actually spat the water in vladimir's face and slapped vitaly he threw tables, uh, obviously in the Dillian White build-up. I remember he, he kissed his fighter at the way and he literally pulled one of his fighters and kissed him in the way in and pushed him back. And He's done some crazy antics and I think he's the UK's probably version of Aikabea Bucha. Yeah, I mean, it's just... It's it's very hard to compare a one-of-one, one, but I think that if we could put Chisor... If it was a video game and you took uh, Dillian White's fighting style and Chisora's antics and you molded a character, and you put the body of Ike on it, you probably would have a similar person. It's just, for me, I guess one final question is, what would have happened if he had a fought Andy Ruiz? Because I think that the other thing, we talked about this with Tapia, we didn't talk about it with Randy Turpin, where a lot of these guys that we deal with in this darker side of boxing, they're built for social media. And the prez would have like, in many ways, I think it might've been healthier for him to have Instagram because he might've been making this prez account because to have these alter egos now is much more socially acceptable in the internet world. So it might've been a healthier time for him to have social media, so forth. But how do you think he would have just in all different ways? How do you think that fight would have happened with Ruiz from the press conferences to everything building into that? I think we would have had a different uh, a different sort of... I think when you think about the time he was supposed to fight him, I don't think... I mean, I didn't really know much about Ruiz then. I'll be I'll be bluntly honest, you know. I didn't really know much about Ruiz and how, how, how good of a, of a fighter he was and the amateur pedigree he had and the hand speed for a guy that you look at and you think, you know, he doesn't always look in shape all the time, but yet he seems to be able to go and he seems to be able to have these fast stands. It, it's very difficult because I think... 
Ike is a physical specimen. I think it's genetics that has made him who, who he is. But if you look at the photos of him uh, in court and in prison, he looked like he'd let himself go quite a bit. So would he have been the same person when he came out and fought Andy Ruiz? Hard, hard to say. I mean, part of obviously me would like to have seen him come back and, and some sort of great comeback story. And, and maybe he blew Ruiz out and he was like, oh my God, Abeyabuchi's back. Who's he going to fight? Who are the guys in the division at the time that he's going to be able to challenge? I like them types of stories. I like, I like the sort of that side of boxing, which happens now and again. But it's hard to say for sure what would have happened. I, I think maybe an older version of him, less active version of him, somebody who's not been in the ring for such a long time, uh, maybe have had to have dropped to quite a bit of weight, even though there's obviously no limit up at heavyweight. They might have been, you know, been able to drop that weight down and will he have ever got into the same physical shape again? I'm not so sure. Well, I think we've talked about as much as we can on this topic. It Somehow I came into this topic being so excited and I left more depressed than any episode we've covered and we've still got many more. What can people look forward to next week and moving forward for this great after show podcast? So next week's episode then, uh, Zora Foley, the story of Zora Foley, one of the great heavyweights, very, very underrated heavyweights of the 1960s era. Someone who obviously shared the ring uh, with Muhammad Ali. He's probably most known by the sort of casual boxing fan for that, but he had a story outside of the ring. Eerily, it's very, it's very similar to uh, to Randy Turpin's, albeit it is different. It kind of feels the same in in, in some regards, and in, in, in it's there's a lot of parallels between the two stories. I'll I'll, I'll say that for sure. But it's another story. Um, there are other episodes. Um, the, the the murder of Stanley Ketchell is is one of them. That's another episode coming out this season. Uh, looking forward to covering Oscar Bonavina. Uh, and his tale, that's another another one. And Diego Corrales, Chico. Diego Corrales also features in this season as well. So there's just a few episodes that are, are left over that we're really going to be going through and really going to be having different types of conversations about because there's so many different stories. There's so many different interpretations. Some of them, obviously, we've lived through this era of these fighters being around, so we get the the benefit of being able to have a bit more of that inside knowledge than 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 what we will have had looking at the research for the guys that were here 50, 60 years ago. So I'm genuinely excited for for the rest of the season, and obviously next week's Sora Foley episode uh, is one that I think will put to light. Uh, a, a good fighter, uh, an underrated fighter, but and also another tragic story. It seems like the theme of what we're covering is guys most boxing fans don't appreciate, and we love watching the fights, and then it's very rough to learn about who they were, and maybe who they were is really the reason we don't remember them as fighters, because there was a lot to unpack with their social life. That's a, that's a little Lukey observation I'm making where it's like, Oh, maybe we don't remember Randy Turpin as much, or we just remember him for that one win because he had all these crazy things happen outside of the ring or Ike, we remember the two of fight and the numbers, but we don't remember it because got a little strange. I think, I think for us, it's, it's been all about like putting a season together where it was different from the first season. And you think about the first season, it was all about the murders. It was all about the suicides. There was a lot more murders, suicides, conspiracy theories, mafia. It, they, they were the most notable stories that are probably at the forefront of everybody's mind. What we've done for season two is obviously bring to the forefront of people's minds or make people remember these individuals and and yeah a lot of them are very themed and and kind of feel like uh, along the sort of the same lines but for us it's because we want to bring to light that these guys need to be remembered in a positive light but they also need these stories need to be told as well because you know people don't essentially know the story some people don't go that far into researching these individuals like we, we mentioned Randy Turpin like I said, he's always known for beating Sugar Ray Robinson, but who else would have thought that, you know, he would have had all these issues outside of the ring? Nobody, unless you've really gone into the depths of, of the internet and, and the books that are out there and studied it. And I think this is what it's been all about, is bringing these stories to life a little bit more and obviously appreciating the positive aspects of these individuals, making sure that we highlight, like, the good stuff that they've done, but the show is the darker side of boxing so there's always something there there is always some story behind it which is is either 
sad or it portrays the individual in a terrible light and i think it's it's for what we wanted to do we've so far we feel like we're sort of achieving what people uh are wanting from us and there's a lot of great comments coming back obviously there's a couple on on youtube i know there was one on the uh the, the last after show on randy turpin you mentioned uh being from the area where randy turpin was from and talked about the statue uh in leaming in leamington and, and and obviously mentioned how much like people just look at him as an idol but then don't really think of the story behind it and i, I think for for me and for us i think that's that's kind of job done knowing that people are actually listening going hang on yeah yeah, actually, yeah, there's more to it that meets the eye. And then they become a bit more embroiled in wanting to look, look it up themselves or read about it themselves. And, you know, we feel like we give people, give, we're giving people a little bit of an education or we're giving them some some provoking thoughts that are leading them to go on to do their own uh, investigations or research or, or just, just for their own personal pleasure more than anything to, to read into it. And, and I get a thrill out of that when people say it's a great episode or I've enjoyed that or I didn't know that. I mean... Only only yesterday I got a comment on the uh, the Hurricane Carter episode that we did from an individual who said he was from the same town and he was around when the in- the incidents occurred and he talked about there was information in there that we'd managed to pull together that even he didn't know and he comes from that town which is thousands of miles away I'm on the other side of the pond and yet he lives there in that town. But yet there's information that he didn't know. So for us, it's job done. Um, I, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed doing the after shows. And I think, I hope, you know, I think and I hope people have enjoyed, you know, listening to us talk about it. And you're giving a completely different perspective and a, a fresh insight into things. So it's great that obviously you're presenting it and, and, and providing people with a different voice to hear and, and a different opinion as well. Well, that's what I do. Where can people follow you on social media before we wrap this up? So, as always, if you want to follow the pod, it's at darker underscore side underscore pod. Uh, you can find all the episodes on there, or the main BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, if you want to chat with myself, you want to look at what I'm doing in the world of boxing, you can find me at Sean BTR Boxing on Twitter, or you can find me also on Facebook too. Uh, thanks, Luca, for having us on. Thanks for hosting the show. It's uh, been a pleasure talking about Aikabea Bucci. All right. I look forward to talk to you next week and we're going to listen to some more depressing stories. So I'm excited. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening. Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.